Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we'll look at verse, uh, verses number 1 and following in that in just a few moments. Uh, I don't know, uh, there's a story that has been told uh, um, about Albert Einstein. He said that when he was, uh, it was said that when he was on a tour one time that uh, he was visiting several universities and he was presenting his theory of relativity. Uh, a couple months into his lecture tour, he was riding with his, cho with his chauffeur. <laughs> And uh, his chauffeur kind of presented him with a little bit of a challenge. And uh, I don't know the truth or not truth of this, but I, I thought it was a neat story. But Einstein said to him, he said, uh, or Einstein, his chauffeur said to Einstein, you know, the brilliant scientist, he said, you know, I've heard this lecture so many times. He said, I think that by now I could probably give it myself. And <laughs> so Einstein kind of accepted the challenge. He said, well, let's try it. And so the people at the next university, he, he says, the people at the next university have never seen me, and so they won't know who I am. You put on my clothes, I'll put on your chauffeur hat and, and, and suit and uniform. And when we, when we get there, you introduce me as, as your chauffeur, and I'll introduce you as, as Mr. Einstein or Dr. Einstein. And uh, everything went according to plan. The chauffeur delivered the speech, uh, you know, of relativity. He's just flawlessly... And Einstein, sitting back there in the, in the lecture hall, uh, enjoyed that, that whole time, just uh, thinking about that. But then something happened that the two of them hadn't considered. <laughs> the moderator of the lecture, he said, you know, we have about 15 minutes left, you know. And so I think there's time for, for Dr. Einstein here to, to share uh, to, uh, a couple of questions. And so he, uh, there's a mathematics professor in the in the audience, as the story goes, he, he asked a very complicated, very technical question that was involving things like uh, um, mathematical formulas and, and, and language that the chauffeur, chauffeur didn't understand. And, but he was so quick on his feet, he says, you know what, sir, there's that, that, the solution to that problem is so simple, he says, that I am really surprised that you'd even ask that. And he says, to prove that, that it's so simple, I'm just going to ask my chauffeur <laughs> to come up and answer that question. <laughs> um, well, Einstein, he may have been pretty intelligent, uh, but his chauffeur was obviously a wise man, I think. You know, you know I, I think all of us want to be wise, don't we? Would we say that we want to be wise? Um, I think every day we face some difficult decision that, that that require us. I think we are wise in some ways. We, we face difficult decisions that require us to, to you know, think on our feet, that we wish, uh, sometimes we wish we had the wisdom of Solomon maybe so that we could instantly know what to do. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, we do have knowledge. We have lots of knowledge. Um, in fact, I think that we're told that there's more knowledge that has been developed in the past 10 years than than in all of the combining centuries history of civilization, you know. Um, and yet, knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom, and I think we'd all agree with that. Someone once said that knowledge is just information that oftentimes leads us from the simple to the complex. But he said, wisdom is a practical thing because it leads us from the complex to the simple. And I think that in our day and age, we really need wisdom. Because as Will Rogers once said, 
common sense isn't just isn't quite as common as it used to be. And that really leads us to our last question that Christmas answers. We've been going through the month of, of December just talking about some of the questions that, that Christmas answers. You can think about uh, some of the things that we've talked about already. Uh, are there, is there more than one path to God? Or what, in fact, does God actually do? Um, and uh, today we want to look at this, this idea of what a, a wise man actually looks like. So open your Bibles again, uh, or if you have your Bibles open, there's second chapter of Matthew. It's, uh, it's uh, the part of the Christmas story that we, we encounter some men who have had the reputation of being wise for many, many years, some 2,000 years now. And I think that if we look at their story and their involvement in, the, in this chapter of the Christmas story, we'll, we begin to see some elements that go into making a truly wise person. So let's just uh, share in that together. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Um, Matthew records this event as, as follows. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, not to go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. I, I want to begin today just, uh, t just by talking a little bit of, about these magi, just taking a closer look at who they are, these wise men as we are traditionally calling them. And, and, and I guess for a couple of different reasons. I, I, I think, first of all, I think that it's important to realize that that this isn't just a story, you know, some sort of a legendary tale that, that has been made up. But this, in fact, this event is, in fact, based upon historical facts. There's, there really were wise men. And uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, second of all, I, I really think it's important for us uh, to, to recognize some of the misconceptions that we might have of, of these wise men. Uh, mainly because I think that we can get a better picture of the circumstances that are surrounding uh, Christ's birth. And so I just want to briefly share some background with you uh, in, in an attempt to just answer that question. Who were these strange men, these strange travelers from, from the East? Now Matthew actually gives us almost no 
details about them. And, and, and most of the popular beliefs, I believe, are somewhat misleading. So, for example, I, I doubt that these magi were anything like the camel riding travelers that we see pictured on Christmas cards in, in Christmas pageants. And in fact, they probably rode Arabian stallions, not camels. Um, even the old Christmas carol, and I think most of us are aware of this, but the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, I still love to sing it, right? I still like to sing that, even though that's, uh, you know, We Three Kings of Orient are, it goes. And, and it's somewhat misleading because these men were certainly not kings, and we have no evidence that there were three of them. I mean, other than the biblical record that, that they gave, the, uh, that these uh, wise men brought three gifts to the baby Jesus. Um, and, and some traditions say that there were as many, uh, possibly as a dozen of these wise men, and nothing in the Bible ever, ever says that they came from the Orient. But most of the information I think that we can gain from, or glean from history, really suggests that they, they came from the lands of the Medes and the Persians, modern-day Iran. Uh, so the wise men who traveled to Bethlehem that night probably came from Persia. Um, th th these wise men or these magi, were, they were the scholars of their time. Their, their teachings became known as the law of the Persian or the Medes and the Persians. And both magi, the magi and their laws are, are referred to in the Old Testament books of, of um, Esther and, and of Daniel. These laws of the magi were, were in Persia they were the law of the land. It was the legal code, right? It was, it's kind of like our constitution, if you will. Our, our word magi actually comes from uh, the word, or our word magistrate actually comes from the word magi. And so to summar, summarize, the, the magi were actually educated men. These were the, the scientists, the mathematicians, the philosophers, the, the doctors, as well as the legal authorities in, in their land. And, and because of their knowledge, the Magi rose to a, a place of prominence in, in Babylon, in Medo-Persian, and in the, the Greek empires. And they acted as advisors to kings. They interpreted dreams and, and things like that. And in the year that Jesus was born, these Magi were still very powerful in the, in the same basic territory which then was known as the Parthian Empire. And then we should note one other thing. One of the Magi's main duties was none other than choosing kings in Parthia. And I think that that would explain why their arrival in, 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 in uh, Jerusalem would have upset King Herod. He, he knew that these men were kingmakers, and, and here we find them going around asking, they're going around town, they're asking for the one who had been born king of the Jews. I mean, think about that. I mean, can you imagine that scene? I mean, into Jerusalem rides these, these magi. No doubt they're all decked out in their, in their magi outfits, riding these Arabian stallions, uh, you know, accompanied by a small army for their protection. I mean, that would have been a sight to see. And not only that, but you think about it, where was Herod's army, right? Where's his army at? His little army, they were paying attention to the census. They were occupied. I mean, what a time, if you think about that, for a well-armed parade of foreign kingmakers to show up. Isn't God awesome, 
right? Herod, he was the king of the Jews, or so some, uh, you know, some saw him as that, or it was, a, it was a title actually that was given to him by, by none other than Caesar Augustus himself. And, and Herod was, all of a sudden he found himself in this difficult spot. No doubt he saw these magi as a serious threat to the stability of his kingdom. And so when Matthew says that he was troubled, I mean, it uses actually a word that means that he was, he was visibly shaken. He was, he was just agitated like, well, I, I, I like to uh, maybe liken it to the heavy-duty cycle on a washing machine. That's what it was like for Herod. Well, that's probably enough background on these men. But the, the question is, what was it about them that made them all worthy of the title wise men in Scripture? I mean, you know, based on this event, what does a wise man really look like? Well, I think that there's a number of things. There's, first of all, in this first chapter, I think the, we see that a wise man is this. He knows that God is the only source of true wisdom. A wise man knows that God is the only source of true wisdom. I like this quote from Billy Graham. He said, you know, knowledge is horizontal. Wisdom is vertical. It comes from above, right? And these men were wise because their source of knowledge wasn't limited to what man knows. It came from above. They, they also considered information that, that, that God provided. That's what they did. And they, they made the most important journey of their lives based upon the prophecies that they read in the Word of God, specifically prophecies about the coming Messiah. And so how did, how did it come about that these men from, from Persia would know the Messianic prophecies of Scripture in the first place? Well, to answer that, we need to look back at the Old Testament. Magi are mentioned in the Old Testament when Israel came face to face with the Babylonian Empire. Uh, we, we remember that. If you, if you remember King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was the Babylonian king and he, he destroyed the, the Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple. Actually did that in three waves of where he, he pulled some people out of, uh, he, he went and, 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 and attacked those and and started to bring all of the people from Jerusalem back in three waves back to Babylon. And he uh, took over the Jewish nation, took them all into captivity in about 587 B.C. And scripture teaches that he handpicked certain young Hebrew men of extraordinary wisdom to serve him. You remember who they were? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There may have been others, but... Those are the ones that scriptures uh, are, are uh, enlighten us with. And in a sense, uh, though, they, these men, um, and you can read through Daniel and you see that, but they became rivals of Nebuchadnezzar's magi. But Daniel himself, he made this really good impression on Nebuchadnezzar, and well, because he did something that their magi couldn't do. You remember what that was? He interpreted dreams. He interpreted the king's dreams. Daniel prayed for God's wisdom, and as a result, he was able to interpret the dream, and, 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 and the king was, was, uh, had rewarded him by making him the master of the Magi. As their leader, he would have had a, a, a huge influence 
an amazing influence on, on, um, on these other magi. Um, he would have had a huge influence on their studies, on what they would have studied. He, knowing what we know of Daniel's character, knowing what we know of his passion for God, we can be certain that he would have taken advantage of, of, of this opportunity to instruct the Magi about the one and only true God. And so it stands to reason that they would have become very familiar with Jewish scripture, including the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so the wise men who visited Jesus had probably read Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, which said, a star will come out of Judah, or I'm sorry, a star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. Which incidentally is the only verse in the Old Testament that talks about a star being any kind of sign. And then that word scepter, we know what, we, we, we know what that would suggest. It, it suggests a coming kingship. And so these men were wise because they based their lives, their, 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 they based their life's journey on the only true source of wisdom, on, on God himself. And I think that anyone who wants to be wise will do the same. I'm reminded of what James says in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, any of you who lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generous, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. See, I, I think without a fundamental belief in God, all knowledge that leads, all knowledge leads to a dead end. In his book, Christian Belief in a, po- in a Postmodern World, a fellow by the name of Diogenes um, Allen writes these words. He says, It has been taken for granted in the intellectual world that the idea of God is unnecessary. Let that sink in just a little bit. The idea of God in our intellectual words, just been taken for granted that that is, this idea of God is unnecessary. The common attitude, he says, is that we don't need God to account for anything. And then he goes on to say, today there are fundamental developments in philosophy and in cosmology that actually point to God. And then he says, it is beyond those fields of inquiry to make a positive pronouncement on this matter. All they can say is that the order and existence of the universe pose real questions that they cannot answer, and they recognize that God is the sort of reality that would answer them. In other words, what Alan is saying is this. He's saying in the intellectual climate of our world, where it has been popular to just ignore God and, and, and just to decide that, that we don't need Him for anything. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's the world that we live in today. But there's, he says that there's this, this dramatic shift that is taking place. People with, with great knowledge are beginning to ask questions about the existence of life and, 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 and the existence of the universe. And the questions that they're asking can't be answered by their scientific disciplines. And so what has happened is this. We have produced a whole generation of people that are highly intelligent, but they are ignorant because they have, 
They have intelligence without faith in God himself. They have knowledge, but they don't know the one from whom all things come. It kind of reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. Do you remember what that says? It says, the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Our greatest knowledge doesn't even compare. It's nothing compared to God's foolishness. And so true wisdom begins with a worldview based on a fear of God, based on a respect for God as the, source of, as the only true source of wisdom. And we see that quality in all wise men, including, including these, these strange gift-bearing travelers who made that journey uh, of this made that journey based upon something that God said. A wise man knows that God is the only true source of wisdom. Then a second thing, a second characteristic of a wise man is this. A wise man knows that wisdom is more than knowledge, but it is acting upon that knowledge. Matthew tells us that the wise men came to Herod and asked for his help in locating the king of the Jews. And Herod responded by calling in all of these Jewish experts. I find that kind of funny, you know, as you read the story. He, he starts to call in the, the, the experts, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and, and he asked them where the Christ was, born, was to be born. And you know what? They all knew. <laughs> Isn't that just, do you find that just to be odd about this story? He asked them where he was going to be born, and they all knew. They weren't even surprised by the question. They had the same Old Testament scriptures, the same writings that these wise men had. And so they, they looked at these writings from God and they reminded the king of the prophecy in Micah that they pinpointed the Messiah's exact birthplace to, to Bethlehem. But, but don't miss this. These religious leaders of the day, they all had, they had all the knowledge necessary for locating the true king of kings. But you know what? They didn't do anything about it. They didn't do anything about it. Only the, only the strangers from the East. They were the only ones wise enough to act upon that knowledge. These Jewish theologians, they knew their Bibles. They spoke truth to Herod, but they didn't join the Magi on their journey of wisdom. I mean, what they knew to be true didn't make the slightest difference in the way that they lived their lives. They were too busy studying theology and too busy in their temple rituals. And so tragically, there were more people who saw the star and didn't follow it than there were people who saw it and did follow it from, Bethlehem, or from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. To know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. And I think Spurgeon is right. It's foolish to gain a bunch of knowledge, even religious knowledge, if you're not going to act upon it, if you're not going to use it, if you're not going to apply it to your lives. Then it becomes useless. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. 
You know, I think even today there's so many people that believe in Jesus, but they don't do anything about that belief. They, you know, every Christmas they celebrate the, the birth of Jesus Christ, God's Son, but they don't repent of their sin and make Him the Lord of their lives. They, don't, they believe, but they don't do anything about that belief. Well, we, we know what James also says in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Knowledge isn't enough. Wisdom is more than just believing. Wisdom is more than just knowing. It's doing. And so a wise man knows that God is the only true source of power, or of, of wisdom. He knows that wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's, it's acting upon that knowledge. But then a third characteristic is seen in, seen in a wise man is that he follows God even when God's guiding light cannot be seen. Matthew tells us that these wise men saw the star in the east and then they traveled in the direction, uh, in that direction even after that star disappeared. And then the star reappeared to guide them from Jerusalem to the specific place in Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph were staring, were, were staying. So on, uh, uh, contrary to some of the pictures that we sometimes see in our Christmas cards, the wise men traveled long miles in the dark without the benefit of the star. But I think, you, know, you think about that a little bit, and that's sometimes the way that, that life is, isn't it? Uh, we spend a lot of, of our journey in the dark. Uh, God guides us maybe to a certain college, or, you know, and, and we go there not knowing what's, what's going to be ahead, you know, what lies ahead. He, he leads us to a specific career, and we go in that direction not really knowing what's going to happen after that, or not really knowing much more than that. I think oftentimes in life, we have those moments when everything becomes clear and, then, and we know that God has guided us in that direction and then all of a sudden that light gives, gives way to some stretches of, of darkness with, with only the memory of the light to guide us. The, I guess what I'm saying is the star doesn't always shine so bright. And when it doesn't, that's the time when we need to walk by faith and we need to remember its light and... and, and and hoping that it will shine again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I think as Christians, there may be times when it seems like, like God is hidden. And, and you know, it's, it's during those times that wise men will remember that God is always there guiding us, even when we can't see His guiding light. You think about Job. Job thought God had abandoned him, but he, he discovered that God really hadn't abandoned him. And in fact, there was a lot more going around, on around him than he could understand. He learned that God was never more present than in those times of trial. And wise men stum stubbornly cling to God in times of darkness and hardship, knowing that when they pray that much more be, may be involved than they can imagine. Wise men have the kind of faith that knows that God never abandons them, no matter how distant He may seem. And then in closing, one more quality of a wise man is this. A wise man seeks God, and when he seeks him, 
he always finds him. You know, I think about this story, and there could have been many reasons why these wise men made this journey to, to give honor to God's newborn son. They may have actually started out seeking him because of political motivations. Maybe they thought that this new king would help the Parthians defeat Rome. I don't know. Maybe they were even looking for a new king to, to unify the, the two empires. Uh, possibly they were simply curious about the long prophesied Jewish Messiah that they'd study about. But I believe, I believe that they set out on this huge road trip because they were genuinely seeking the true God. I believe that they realized how empty the world's knowledge is and with, with hungry hearts they set out to, to, to find the one and only true God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, one of my favorite verses of Scripture says, If you seek me, God says, if you will seek me, and if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Deuteronomy 4, 29. And these men, they found God. I, I, I think in, in, answer to their, in, in answer to their sincere seeking, they found God. And when they found Him, Matthew tells them what? Tells us what? That they bowed down and they worshipped Him. God in His grace opened the eyes of, of these pagan men and, and to, to something that His own people did not see. That Jesus was God in human form. And these guys were never the same again. You know, there are basically only two different kinds of people in this world, right? There are wise people who accept Christ and there are foolish people who reject him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And like these wise men, whenever we seek God sincerely, we find him through Jesus Christ. And you know, all over the world, all over this world, even today, Wise men still seek God, and I am confident that when they do, if you seek God, they will find Him. Amen? Father, we're so 